Good morning. We as a church are to be in the world, but not of the world. We have to be in the world and not of the world. We see this in John chapter 15, and Jesus is talking to disciples, and he's, and he's telling them this. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Right? So Christians, we live in this tension, this tension of being in the world, but not of the world. Right? Because we're physically in the world. We're in this world, and this world is ruled by the power of the kingdom of the air, which is Satan. But spiritually, we live for the glory of God. So we live in that tension. And not just us as Christians, all of God's people have always lived in the tension of being in the world, but not of the world. And today we're going to read Psalms 37. We're going to go through it. And King David, he gives us a couple principles of how we live in this tension, of how to honor God while we're in the world. But before we get to that, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you for this opportunity to present your word. I pray that as we hear what your word says and as, you, as we hear uh, the things you are commanding us to do, uh, to be ambassadors, to be representatives on earth for your kingdom and your glory, I, I, I ask first that we have a heart of repentance. If we have uh, put anything above you, allow us to repent of that sin. But also allow us today to be a day that we turn. We turn from our sin. We turn from the things that we thought were right and we walk down your path that we can delight in you and we know that you will give us the desires of our heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My name is Michael Pollock. I am the pastor resident here at First Alliance Church. And what that means is I'm planting a church and we all, everyone kind of knows that already. Um, but yeah, we're launching in a couple months, so super excited to be here with you guys today. But let's get to Psalms 37, because we see Psalms 37, and we see, and King David writes this, and he writes this in his later years of his life. And this psalm really reads more like a proverb than a psalm. It's a lot of wisdom inside of it. And I can imagine as he is sitting down to write this psalm, he is reflecting upon the major events in his life. First, at the age of 15, being anointed to be the next king of Israel in front of his seven brothers and his father. Then to face the champion Goliath of the Philistines and to defeat him. And now he is the champion of Israel, only later to be hunted by King Saul for 13 years. Then when Saul passes away, he becomes king and he gets victories, but he becomes a murderer and an adulterer as king. And then lastly, he's probably reflecting on the time where he, had to, he was on the run again for his life. But this time it wasn't from King Saul, it was from his own son, Absalom. So taking all this in, this is the first thing he writes. Psalm 37, verse 1. He says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers, 
Be not envious of wrongdoers. Right? So there's two things that he wants us to be alert for as we are in the world, but not of the world. The first thing he says, don't fret yourself because of evildoers. Right? The word fret, the dictionary definition of the word fret is to constantly or visibly be worried or anxious. Right? It's, a, it's the on your face and you know that you're worried. And he's telling us, don't worry about those people who are evil, who are seeking to destroy you. Because I had a lot of that in my life, and the Lord has always been faithful. So don't worry about those evildoers. Do not desire the lifestyle of those who are doing wrong. Don't desire that lifestyle. Right? Because it, it seems as though that the wicked kind of get away with it. Right? They got the big house. They got the big car. They cheat on our taxes. They step on people who are under them. And I'm like, man, God, you know, I want, I want to see you hit the hammer on those guys. But yet they're, they're making money and they're rich. And when we, we get to, and for the Christian, what happens in our heart, and I can only speak for myself, is that the temptation is, and there's one small temptation to maybe do something that they're doing to get that prosperity here on earth. But we all know that temptation is like the grave and that it is never satisfied. It's going to keep going and going and going. And David tells us what's going to happen to those people. Those people that seems as though they are getting away with murder. What's going to happen to those people at the end? He says this in verse 2. He says, For they will soon fade away like grass and wither like the green herb. Later on in the psalm, he says this. He says, I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. But he passed away, and behold, he was no more. I sought him and couldn't find him. Their time will come, and we have to trust that God will make all things right. We have to trust that. So in this psalm, David gives us, he gives us more than three, but we're going to talk about three today. Three things that we can hold on to as we live in this tension of being in the world and not of the world. And the first one he says in the verse three, he says, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And, and, and what he's saying is, he says, don't worry about those evildoers. Trust in God. And I love here in this psalm, we see that the word Lord is in all caps. We see it as all caps, and that's just not, they're not yelling the Lord, right? All caps means something. That means it is a personal name of God, Yahweh, his personal name, meaning trust in Yahweh. Look at what he has done. Look at his faithfulness. Trust in him. But we have to, when we see this, we have to ask the question, what is trust? What is it? How do I know if I'm trusting in something or if I'm not trusting in something? How do I know that? So, for example, I have two chairs here that I want to bring to the center of the stage here. Now I want to ask you, which one should I trust in <laughs> to hold me up? Right? Obviously, the bigger one, right? Right? 
And, and I've taught in classes and I've had unfortunate accidents with these as well. So, and, and to show you that I trust that this chair can hold my weight, I'm going to now exercise my trust by sitting and everything seems to be okay. Good, thank you chairs, I appreciate it. <laughs> right? So, so, so we, we see something, right? We see that, that trust is faith plus action, right? I had faith. I didn't know it would hold me up, but I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it is, it's made for, has a weight limit. I'm pretty sure this one I didn't have any faith in at all. So I didn't put my trust in it. So trust is faith plus action. If I said I trusted that chair, the bigger one, but if I didn't sit in it, you will be okay to question my trust because there was no action with that trust. So when David says trust in the Lord, he's saying trust that the Lord is good. Trust that the Lord has a plan for your life. Trust that the Lord is faithful. Trust in that. And our expectation is when we trust in the Lord that we are not to worry. So if we are going around worried about this, worried about World War III, worried about everything else, we are exhibiting that we are not trusting the Lord because our faith is not accompanying our action. Our actions, we're saying this with our mouth, we trust in the Lord, but yet our actions deceive us. So he says this in verse 3. He says, trust in the Lord and do good. Do good. Christians, we have the burden to do good. Not to shy away from it. When others shy away from doing good, we have to continue to do good, come what may. That is the command for a Christian. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. I love that he put this dwell in the land. Because we have the tendency to isolate ourselves. You know, we're going to stay in our church buildings. We're going to stay in our Christian bubbles and we had the tendency to say, you know what, I'm just going to stick, all my friends are going to be Christians. And I'm just going to stay in that bubble because that's where I'm comfortable. He says, dwell in the land. And when you're dwelling in the land, befriend faithfulness. Have faith as you're living in the land. So that's the first thing that David is telling us. Trust in the Lord. Trust in him and do good. The second thing we see here is to delight yourself in the Lord. Verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight. When he says the word delight, he's talking about true peace and fulfillment. And he wants us to get our true peace and fulfillment from the Lord. Right? The Lord is our refuge. He, who, he is who we should desire when we seek peace. David is urging us to, when you need peace, when you need a rest, go to the Lord. And when you do that, then he will give you the desires of your heart. Right? Some people read this verse and they say, ooh, I like this verse. I'm going to say I delight myself in the Lord and the things of my heart that I want to do, I'm just going to put the Jesus stamp on it because I'm delighting in the Lord. But yet we sometimes delight in other things. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what are we delighting in? 
Some of us delight in wealth and material possessions in order to get peace. And when we do that, comfort is a desire of our hearts. That becomes our desire. I remember the first movie that I got emotional with when I was watching it. And it was, it was weird because the movie was a, it was a comedy. So it was supposed to, it was a, and it is a funny movie, but it was the movie Click with Adam Sandler. I got emotional when I was watching this movie as a teenager. And, and here's the premise. If you haven't watched the movie, spoiler alert. Um, but it's old, so you probably watch it. Right? Adam Sandler, he's an overworked architect, and he truly wants the best for his young family. Right? So he's, he's working, he's trying to climb the corporate ladder, but it seems like it's one thing after another, and he keeps getting passed up for his promotion. So one night he goes into Bed Bath & Beyond, and I guess he finds the beyond in that, and he goes across a guy named Morty, and Morty gives him a remote that can control reality. You know, it can pause time, it can speed up time, it can, it can, I don't think it can reverse, but it can do some funny things to reality. And he goes home that night and he sees that his wife is struggling, his kids are struggling, and he, he just wants it to be over. So he says, I'm going to fast forward until I finally get my promotion. He loses 10 years of his life in an instant. And then as, as the movie goes on, he keeps fast-forwarding it. It's fast-forwarding it until he loses his family and he has nothing. He's overweight and he's dying on his deathbed. And, and, he, and his kids also despise him as well. And in one of the last scenes of the movie, he, he sees that his son is going down the same exact path. And then that's where it finally clicks for him. If, and it's funny, the words click. <laughs> right? It finally clicks that, that wealth and material possessions don't satisfy. It's never enough. You never can get enough to satisfy. And he urges his son to value his family over work. And I got emotional because it took him a lifetime to see that. And I know that's the movie, so it was a, rom- it was a comedy. So the, the ending was fine, right? They made it all together at the end. But I know for some people's lives, that's their reality. That it took all their lives to see, man, I wish I valued my family over the wealth and material possessions because I was seeking comfort and I never got it. We will never find it if that's what we seek. Some of us are delighting in acceptance and status in order to get peace. When we do that, popularity becomes the desire of our hearts, right? Our desire is to be liked and loved by everyone. Another word for that type of person is a people pleaser, right? I know a couple of people pleasers, and, and in their lives, and they seem to attract people who will use and abuse them, unfortunately, because they know that these people won't say no to their requests. They want to be loved. They want to be liked so bad that they bend over backwards for people who wouldn't even help them up if they fell. So their popularity, their desire to be popular becomes a prison because instead of gaining peace, 
their mind is constantly preoccupied on what does this person think of me? Peace is only an illusion as they wait for the other shoe to drop. Some of us are delighting in physical fulfillment in order to get peace. And when we do that, and I see this a lot in our culture today, and I hear this word a lot, happiness becomes the desire of our heart. My spouse is no longer making me feel happy, therefore I'm filing for divorce. The feeling of happiness controls every aspect of their lives. Well, I want to get another sexual partner because uh, that's what I want to do. They, they start to eat to the point of gluttony. They just want to eat and eat, and I just want to, I just want to feel good. They use drugs and alcohol to get a temporary high. Happiness is the name of the game. And just like all the others, happiness is so fleeting. Because when we feel happy, it can go away in an instant. And now we are seeking that desire again. And these desires are not anything new. Satan, is, he's, old, he's an old dog and he has old tricks. He's been doing this since the beginning. We can look at Adam and Eve and see these same desires in the temptation of Eve in the garden. Cain and Abel, these same desires. God, I want you to want me. I want to be happy. I want to be fulfilled in that, even though I'm not doing the right thing. When Satan came to Jesus in the garden, in the wilderness, sorry, Jesus wasn't in the garden, he was in the wilderness, after 40 days and 40 nights, these were the same temptations. Comfort, happiness, popularity. Jesus said no to them all. The Apostle John, he puts it this way in, his, in the first chapter of John. He says, For the world offers only the cravings for physical pleasure, the cravings for everything we see, and the pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. What are you delighting in? God has a plan for your life. And we hear that all the time, but the question is, do we believe that? Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are God's masterpieces. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. David says the same thing later on in this same psalm. He says this in, in verse 23. He says, the steps of a man are established by the Lord. When he, what? Delights in his way. Though he may stumble, he will never fall. For the Lord upholds him by his hand. And David's like, yeah, I stumbled a couple times. And everyone always talks about me and Bathsheba, right? They always talk about it when they preach. Yes, I've stumbled, uh, stumbled a couple times, but the Lord has never let me fall. God is faithful. So that's the second thing we can hold on to. 
as we live in this world, as we see the, the wicked, wicked seem to prosper, we can hold on to, to delight in God, and He will give us our heart's desires. When we delight in Him, you're, you're going to get new things in your heart that you never had before. And God, is this what you're calling me to do? Yes, when you delight in Him. But we have to make sure we are delighting in Him and not none of these other temptations that are there. They're not always so blatant. They seem to creep up. That seems to be the devil's tactic. And the last thing I want to leave you with is uh, to wait on the Lord, right? Wait on the Lord. He says this in Psalms 37, verse 34. He says, wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land, for you will look when the wicked are cut off. So David here is telling us to have an eternal perspective. We can't have a, 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 such a, a worldly, physical perspective. Have an eternal perspective because we will be there when the righteous are cut off. Let's go to Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. It should be on the screen. And I saw a great white throne and a one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done, recorded in the books. Right? God's going to make everything right. Everything done in the dark will come to light. The sea gave up his dead, and, the, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose names were not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Judgment day is coming for those who do wicked. And I want you to hear me, and I want you to hear me good. Because this is not a call for us as Christians to say, you know what, I'm going to put my hands up, and I can't wait for you to go to hell. That is not the call that we have here when we say, wait on the Lord. When we hear this command, when we, when we read Revelation, compassion should fill our hearts. Because we know the destiny of those people who do wicked things. They will be cut off from the Lord for eternity. This life is going to seem like a dream when we compare it to eternity. So this is not a call to just put your hands up and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to stop trying. This is a call to have an eternal perspective and compassion should fill our hearts. We need to, when we when we wait on the Lord and keep his way, he's telling us to continue to be faithful and allow compassion to motivate our actions as we live in the tension of being in the world, but not of the world. So, we, so to, re, to recall, to recap, Here's what I want to say. Sorry, when I talk about Revelation, I get a bit emotional. 
because it's, it's the reality of those who don't know God. So excuse me for that. So we have to remember, first, first step, trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. Delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Wait on the Lord and keep his way. Those are three things that David is telling us to hold on to as we live in this tension. But to really do these things, we have to know the Lord. And, and, and that's what, that was the word I was getting from the Lord all week as I was prepping the sermon. Do my people know me? Because we can say we know the Lord, but that's like me saying I know Oprah. Because I Googled her and I read her Wikipedia page. But the question is, if I was to go to her house, would she let me in? No, right? Because we don't have a relationship. I don't know her. And for us to know God and for God to know us, we have to be in relationship with him. That's the only way we can do these things. So what's the first step? Right, that's probably the next question. All right, so I want to do these things. I want to trust in God. So what's the first step? The first step is if you don't know God, to reach out to him. My first real prayer to God 10 years ago was, God, I want to live for you. It wasn't anything special. The sky didn't crack. I didn't float in the air. It was me just saying, God, I'm done living my own life. I want to live for you. So you haven't done that. Just cry out to God. I've never met a person who cried out to God and God didn't come to them. I've never met one person. That's the first step. The second step I would say is to sign up for Rooted. Rooted is a small group discipleship experience where we learn and practice seven rhythms essential to the healthy relationship with Jesus. Us as a staff, we talked about, we feel like there's a gap, right? We, like, how do we get to just be in the presence of Jesus? And, and some of us have been Christians for a long time and we're scared to admit that, man, I don't really know how to be in daily devotion with God. That was never taught to me. The Lord saved me and then I was just kicked to the curb. Some of us feel that way. So we want to bridge that gap. And we're doing a rooted class here at First Alliance Church. Here are the seven rhythms we're going to learn. We're going to learn about daily devotion. What does it mean to communicate with God daily? Prayer, repentance, true repentance, sacrificial giving, serving the community. How do we share our story? In Revelation, we see that, that the enemy cannot take two things from us. The blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So how do we share our story in this day and age? And worship. So class to start July 20th. That's on a Wednesday. It's going to be at 6.30 to 8. And the classes are 10 weeks long. 10-week class, once a week. I know it's summertime. I know it's bad for churches to start stuff in the summer. But I, I said, man, people need to be saved in the summer too. So 
We're starting that. If you would like to sign up, I have sign-ups at the welcome desk. You can talk to me or you can contact the office as well. And because it's our first time running it, spots are limited. So if you feel like, if you just feel like you want to reconnect and get closer to God, even if you've been a Christian for 20 years, sign up. Don't hesitate. Sign up. But remember our three points. Trust in the Lord and do good. Delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Wait on the Lord and keep his way. We as a church are to be in the world, but not of the world.